Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels. As always, delighted to have you listening to this sports podcast where it's the end of October with World Series about to begin, basketball and hockey starting. Going to begin the show, though, with football talk with Matt Wittenberg, regular guest on the show, college football ranks and the pro in college. We've got some big conference tilts coming up with Tennessee and, and Kentucky as one of them. Ohio State plays Penn State as well in the NFL. The McCaffrey trade to the Niners, we break that down along with the fact that the Chiefs just absolutely dusted them. Packers and Bucks keep struggling. Who can emerge seven weeks into the NFL season? And then Brandon Marcus joins the show. He hosts the Clippers podcast, huge in the NBA circles uh, in terms of his knowledge and his fandom. He breaks down the struggle of the Clippers early with Kawhi not really playing, how the Lakers are really struggling mightily along with the 76ers. We forecast who's going to be looking good in the NBA, and we talk some World Series with the Astros and Phillies set to begin this Friday. It's the Money Mitch Effect with Matt Wittenberg and Brandon Marcus. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels. Let's start the show. All right, now joining us on the Money Mitch Effect, joined by a friend of the program and uh, reoccurring guest for sure to talk football. It's Matt Wittenberg. Matt, thanks for coming back to the show. Uh, late October, guess I always said it's my favorite sports month, but football season's moving, so I just want to slow it down a little bit, but there's uh, quite a bit to talk about. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, best, uh, best time of the year. Uh, unfortunately, not super excited about this World Series matchup coming up, but hey, football's really turning into the stretch run, and we're starting to find out a lot about uh, which teams are for real and which aren't, both in the uh, NFL and college rank. I think as far as the NFL, where we start first, we've got, what, like three or four for real teams right now, which is an insanely low Maybe. number. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's... it's... Yeah, it's probably being generous. It's crazy to think. I mean, the Bills were off, and I think they've got their place in the game. Obviously, so were the Eagles for the last undefeated team. They'll have to, you know, keep it going. Obviously, nothing's guaranteed, even though we are seven weeks into the season. But the Bills and Eagles off. The next best team has to be, in my opinion, the Chiefs, based on what not just what they did this week to the Niners, but the fact that they're consistently in it. All the AFC Championship games they've made in a row. This was another reminder against the San Francisco team that traded for McCaffrey, was trying to make their move. It's clearly all in when you make a move like that. And the Chiefs just do what they do. They fall behind early, and they just start dominating the game offensively. Yeah, no question. that Those are the uh, the big three this season, uh, Buffalo, Philly, and KC, and probably by a sizable margin at this point. But, yeah, the Chiefs look very, very impressive. Um, 49ers are not necessarily like what their record is probably a little bit worse than what the team actually is they're just sitting at three and four now had a couple of bad ones in a row but i think both of us believe that they're still going to be a player at the end of the season especially in a nfc west that's pretty bad but yeah patrick mahomes man you just just run out of ways to praise the dude loses tyreek hill in the offseason he's turning Juju Smith-Schuster and Marquez Valdez-Scantling into uh, great weapons there. And, I've, of course, Travis Kelsey's Travis Kelsey. He's as good as ever. So, yeah, it's an impressive win. A lot of hype around the 49ers. You, you didn't think that McCaffrey was going to be too involved uh, just days after being traded. So it's going to be interesting to see what the offense looks like when he's more ingrained. But, yeah, the Jimmy G situation is not going to improve. So you <laughs> know what he's going to bring but yeah Casey's really well set up and it's I mean all signs are pointing to them and Buffalo being two at the end of the AFC championship game barring anything crazy happening yeah I I just I want to also point out the fact that Mahomes has the best winning percentage I don't know the specific I forget but when they're down 10 points I think he's won in his career like 65 percent somewhere along those lines it's just insane how he's just calm and he just takes whatever the defense is giving him and takes whatever skill players he has at his disposal too. So, you know, I think that's just going to continue to go on. As far as the NFC West, I mean, it's shocking in a lot of ways. All four teams, and I know you're part of this too, all four teams kind of a different uh, have different thought processes. I think the Seahawks are the only team that's happy because they were by some thought to be maybe one of the worst teams in the NFL going into the year. 
And I know yeah. it's still a long race, and I know there's still plenty of time to even out, but not only do they have to like where they are with Geno Smith's revitalization and with you know Kenneth Walker at the running back position in a defense that's not that bad, but you know who's to say with that they can't make a run at this division if the Rams, if the Cardinals, if the Niners even don't get back into you know winning football. I think the Seahawks have a chance, as shocking as that sounds. Yeah, they've been hey by far the most consistent team in the NFC West, and I guess that's not saying a lot <laughs> considering how bad and up and down the other three have been. Uh, so far, but you're absolutely right. This is a team that going into the season, everyone was convinced would be at least uh, worth last place in uh, the NFC West, if not the entire NFL. But mm-hmm. yeah, credit to uh, Pete Carroll. He's proving again why he's such a good coach and has such good staying power. And obviously, saw something in Geno Smith where they're like, hey, yeah, we can move on from. Russell look and I, by the way, how good does that trade look right now with the Broncos struggling? They're going to end up with a top five pick I mean, out of that deal. So. It, it would look good even if Geno Smith sucked. That's how good that trade is. Yeah. You know? And he's not. He's looking good, too. So that trade was the long-term thing. It was very similar to... You know, we can talk the Stafford trade. I know the Rams won the Super Bowl, so they don't care. But that trade wasn't, and, and the Lions aren't good, but that trade had nothing to do with how golf performed. It was for the future, which kind of leads yep. me into the fact that while the Niners trading for McCaffrey, I, I'm, I'm kind of torn on it because clearly they want to push their chips into the table now. It wasn't a first-round pick, but that's still quite a haul for a running back, especially one that has gotten injured. And I love McCaffrey when he's out there. But I was kind of shocked that the the Niners gave up all those picks, even though the first wasn't involved. Yeah, that's a hefty haul for sure. And good on the Panthers for getting as much as they could. For, I, I know that the story was that they wanted a first-round pick. But, I mean, coming out of that with a, what, a two, a three, a four, and then a five in the next draft is as, as well as you can do, especially with how much money McCaffrey's owed over the next couple of years. So, yeah, it, it was an all-in move from the 49ers and definitely a risky one just because of the last two seasons with how banged up he's been. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays. If he's healthy, I mean, he's like tailor-made for Kyle Shanahan's mm-hmm. offense, and I think he gels really well with what uh, Jimmy does with as far as like screens and the short passing game. So yeah. that's going to be a big, big thing to look for moving forward as long as he's available on the field. Last thing with the NFC West, where are you with your Arizona Cardinals? They won, but there were still some moments where it seemed like it was teetering at the Cliff Kingsbury expense. Yeah, it was an interesting uh, Thursday nighter. We actually got to watch most of it mm-hmm. together, but uh, yeah, playing Andy Dalton will appear uh, a lot of ills. So it's a, here's a fun stat for you: the Cardinals have beaten Andy Dalton four seasons in a row with four different teams. So on the the Bengals the Cowboys, the Bears, and then the Saints, which is, uh. like, insane and probably will never happen again for any quarterback. But it was awesome to see uh, DeAndre Hopkins back in the fold. He looked as fresh as ever. He got 10 catches in his first game back, and he's obviously going to help the offense a lot. And my guy, my ASU guy, uh, Eno Benjamin, running really hard with James Conner out. Yeah. So it was obviously a very much needed win with the way that things were looking. So big one this weekend at the Vikings we're going to find mm. out a lot more about this team if they can actually compete with good teams so yeah. it's going to be interesting to see I'm definitely not sold on it but <laughs> at least uh, Thursday night was a little encouraging man the Vikings at five and one and another team we didn't put into the top tier and uh, maybe they're just in the case where they have to prove it to us in a bigger game but they're winning and that's, yeah. that's hard for a lot of teams in the NFL uh, moving kind of to last night, I, I wanted to mention that Patriots-Bears game. The Bears put it on the Patriots. It was a, a beatdown, a shocking one to say the least. But, you know, props to the Bears. They get the win. They needed something to kind of get their season maybe going at this point. But the story of that game was the quarterback position. Mac Jones starts, struggles. Bailey Zappi comes in, plays well early. The Patriots get pushed over. Really a, a strange situation. And Belichick's been kind of mum with the health of the, of the quarterback and Mac Jones, what the position looks like going forward. It was a muddy situation before last night and got a lot muddier in a game where the Patriots actually got killed. So what was your take with on what went down, the Patriots going forward, and this quarterback controversy that just isn't going away? Yeah, it seems like he, they took an interesting approach going into the, uh, the game with as far as Mac's health is concerned. And uh, Adam Schefter came out reported before the game that 
it wouldn't be a surprise to see both quarterbacks play. So I think hindsight being 2020, if Belichick has a duel, I think he probably just doesn't play Mac at all in that game. It seemed like he's not all the way back yet and just would have been much cleaner for Bailey Zappi, like having all of the reps and just being in there from the get-go. Uh, I don't know if they win the game, but it certainly looks different. And moving forward, I think that you have to have an open competition because uh, Mac's done some good things in his careers and Zappi has looked good in stretches. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously looked great going in at the end of the first half, but just couldn't do anything in the second half. And that Bears defense is okay. It's nothing uh, tremendous, but... Yeah, it's an just interesting spot for them to be in, especially with how good the apparently how good the AFC East yeah. is now with the the Jets getting wins, the Bills are the Bills, and even Miami looking strong with uh, Tua back. So yeah, yeah it could be a long season for them. That that quarterback uh, controversy has to be sorted out quickly if they want to make any headway. Just so we're all clear, right? Like, if anybody else did what Belichick did, they'd be getting destroyed right now. But it's Bill Belichick, so oh, he gets 100%. a pass, and he and he deserves it. I'm not saying he doesn't. Like, he's won all the time. Um, I agree with you. I don't know why the two quarterback situation was the play. I don't think it's necessarily fair to Mac Jones to not give him more of a rope if you're gonna play him. I, I just yep. think you give him the game and you take your lumps. And, and, and they were outclassed. And they didn't lose that game because of the quarterback position. I know Mac had the turnover, but they got destroyed at the line and they could not stop the run-heavy attack of the Bears. So uh, I'm interested to see how it happens. I know we've seen quarterbacks like Bailey Zappi, who I think looks good, might be a long-term guy, but it's not guaranteed. This is that new car, new shoe smell. So I guess we'll have to see yeah, what happens. 100%. Uh, with that, uh, more with Matt Winberg here on the Money Mitch Effect. Uh, talking about old quarterbacks that aren't playing well, and it's funny, they get lumped together, but Brady and Rodgers are really struggling uh, to a point that we haven't seen before. It's Brady's first losing season so far after seven games since 2002, and Rodgers going into Buffalo on Sunday night with is a 10.5 point underdog, which is the biggest deficit he's faced from an odds maker perspective. So, two, three, and four teams, two teams struggling. I don't know which team I like less. I'd maybe say the Packers just because they're they got the Vikings in their division. But these are two teams that are just completely going in the wrong direction. Yeah, it's very surprising. I mean, the, going into the season, they were both like among what probably the top three favorites in the NFC to make mm-hmm. it to the Super Bowl. Then in the Rams, um, yeah, it's a tough situation for both of them. The only silver lining for the Bucks is how bad the AF or NFC South is. I mean. They just got ran over by the worst team in the NFC South, so I'm not sure how the yeah. rest of the season looks. But you got to think that Brady and them scrapping wins together to come out of that division. I don't know if they're going to be like eight and nine or something like that, but I'd be very surprised if they didn't win the division. But man, that Mike Evans drop was brutal. But granted, they still should have uh, rebounded from that. That was so early in the game, but. Yeah, such a deflating play, like as easy of a touchdown as he's ever going to have. And I, he took like ownership of that after the game, but you still have to rebound. So I, I'm torn on this too because the Packers, like just in terms of a name value and just guys that have done it before, and, and Rodgers isn't playing well, but their receivers aren't helping him out. Their offense looks rudderless, and you wonder who's going to step up. He needs to wear some of this too. They're not running the ball more with their heavy running attack. You know that that said though the Bucks just with all the talent with that defense with proven champions they just look lifeless and we've seen this before big names don't guarantee you anything in pro sports and I just don't know if it's wear and tear the personal life stuff with Brady it's not just him though that's the thing that's scary like if it was Brady just yeah. being off and the rest of the team and the defense rolling it'd be one thing but Carolina was moving the ball on them without. You know, the receiver cut, traded, the running back traded, a third-string quarterback. So, I don't, I don't know. But somebody has to win that NFC South. And you look at it like the Bengals or the Bengals kill the Falcons. The Saints are 2-5. and five. I, I don't know. I just think it's it's a weird time of year. You, you have to give props to the team like the Giants, who I want to get to in a second. But, you know, it's just shocking to see both Rodgers and Brady having such bad years together. Yeah, 100%. I you're right about the Green Bay run. They have two really good backs in uh, Jones and Dylan, so you can lean on those guys when the wide receivers aren't picking up the slack. So it's going to be interesting. It's a long shot for them to win the division with how well the Vikings are playing. right. Even the Bears are coming along Mm -hmm. now, it seems. So 
Yeah, it could be a long season in Green Bay. Shout out to those New York Giants. They beat the Jaguars, a team that was favored uh, over them. It was a wild game. It was a controversial game. It came down to the end, and uh, they held it literally at the goal line. But props to Brian Dable. I, I don't want to say lock coach of the year, but he's <laughs> it's looking pretty good. And the fact that mm-hmm. and the fact that Daniel Jones, who took all the flack, I think some of it was deservedly, but he's proven how tough he is, and he's doing the number one thing you want a quarterback to do: not turn the ball over. So that's part of a large part of why they're in this position is Jones is just taking care of the football and giving his team a chance to make those plays. Yeah, yeah, he's been super impressive. And last year's contract, too, so good time to pull out. And obviously, Saquon Barkley back is, and having him healthy, just they wanted to even Jones picking up some of the slack, too, which has been really impressive. So, yeah, they're 6-1. and one. I mean, they haven't been, like, the most impressive wins. They're not, like, blowing teams out, but they're winning, so... That's, you can't take anything away from them in that regard. You got an interesting one this weekend in uh, Seattle, so we might see, find out which one of the two teams in that yeah. contest is most for real down the yeah. stretch. Yeah, that's a big game uh, with a lot of implications, and I think it's like Lions Bears after that for the Giants. So I mean, they could. I mean, nothing's guaranteed, obviously, but it's looking pretty good for them. Uh, a couple more things before we go on to college. Uh, I do want to say that you know the Browns Ravens game was a, a, a true another kick in the groin for me, a different way to do it. Uh, some controversial officiating for sure. I don't want to be blame the refs guy. I will also say that our play calling has not been good at times as well. Um, but man, I, I just I could not believe it was kind of inspiring to see that they finally decided to call a offensive pass interference for the first time all season in the NFL on the Browns. And then that penalty on the and that penalty on the on the uh, on the field goal was obviously a miss and a mistake. So that one hurt, but Browns had their chances, just mm-hmm. couldn't come through. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, those division games are, always have like such a razor thin margin, and I mean J- Jacoby Brissett had a decent game too, so he wasn't wasn't turning it over. Um, you gotta take advantage of those when he has them, especially since the season sort of slipping away at this point with based on the start mm-hmm. and based on yeah so the Bengals coming around and then the Ravens are hmm. going to be the Ravens so not the ideal situation but good to see at least some offensive life and yeah. Nick Chubb is really I mean if he wasn't before he's really announcing himself as a top <laughs> three or four running back in the league so yeah got to hang your hat on that that's why it's frustrating to be bad again. It's that they actually have guys yeah. on their roster that are good. Uh, the Ravens do hold the lead in the fourth quarter for the first time in uh, quite some time. And, um, you know, looking at it, I can't think of anything scarier on Halloween than watching the Browns play in a primetime game. So I'll have that. <laughs> it's really frightening me. Um, last night, yeah, I've got to go with the uh, orange, all yeah. orange game on Halloween. Really the, there's going to be some funny, funny gifts in the crowd of uh, <laughs> what happens. And the Bengals look good. The Bengals are, are turning it around, too, yep. so they might be a factor. Last NFL thing I want to say is just I'm going to probably, for the foreseeable future, until proven otherwise, just put the Titans down as the division winner in the AFC South until somebody else does it. And I know that they're not really a threat, I don't think, to be a Super Bowl contender. It speaks to the division, but it also it speaks to Vrabel as a coach. I just trust him and this team over the other three in that division. Yeah, how can you not? I mean, based off of well, the Colts just naming Sam Ellinger their starter for the rest of the <laughs> season. Kidding me? So. It's like you know how much money yeah. I lost on that guy in college. Like I can tell you, it's not going to work <laughs> out. <laughs> but, yeah, so they're just throwing everything at the board now to see what sticks. And yeah, you're you're right about the Titans. You know what you're going to get with them. Ryan Tannehill is going to throw for like 175 yards. He won't turn it over. Derrick Henry will have 100 plus on the ground, and they're going to play good defense. So you don't like expect a Super Bowl run out of them, but they're as, as safe a bet to win any division in, in the NFL on a consistent basis. And yeah, yeah credit to your guy Braves for getting it done there. Yeah, Owen two moving up, play the Texans next week. Uh, pretty insane. So Sunday's games in the NFL. Just wanted to mention the ones we didn't. I mean, Bucks get on Thursday night the Ravens, Packers, Bills. So those quarterbacks could be three and five. Uh, you're looking at a Monday night game. We said Browns and Bengals. Your team against the Vikings. Uh, yeah, and and the other one I want to mention that's kind of kind of low key good, and I'm I'm actually interested to see how it shakes out is that Patriots-Jets game. I know the Jets don't have Brees Hall anymore, but if if the Jets can win this one, I mean, they're 
under the radar. Sauce Gardner looks like the defensive rookie of the year by a pretty wide margin right now. Yeah, he's been great. And then, I mean, that whole team's been so fun to watch so far this year. Such a bummer about, I mean, talking about offensive rookie of the year candidate, uh, Paul going down. So I like the move of them trading for James Robinson, though. Travis Etienne finally getting the full full run in Jacksonville, too. Yeah. But that's it. I mean, as far as like one sided rivalries go, the Patriots and Jets is right up there. So this would go a long way for them and mm-hmm. sending a message and like getting a good run at potentially getting that wild card spot because there's no way they're going to catch the Bills in the AFC East. But yeah, fun, fun weekend too. And then you got uh, Rams 49ers, mm-hmm. which is always yeah. a battle. And that'll be two, that'll be tallying as far as which team can sort of take that next step with how inconsistent they've both been this season. Big ones on deck in the NFL. I'm Matt Wittenberg here on the Money Mitch Effect. I want to spend some time on college as well before I let you go. Uh, it was an interesting weekend. It wasn't the slate that we'd seen before, but there were some pretty big games. Uh, not really upset heavy like we've seen in the past. I think the big one was out in the Pac-12, the last line beaten falls. UCLA to Oregon. You saw Texas lose to Oklahoma State. You know, there was a lot of different th- different moves and makes moves uh, and notes to make in the college slate, but we're still in that place we thought we were, and we're starting to kind of see the playoff pillars take shape, some big games on the horizon. What stood out with you last week, uh, Matt, as we kind of look at the college slate and get ready for November football? Uh, The big one was the uh, Syracuse-Clemson game with how much uh, Mm. Clemson was struggling early in that and just turning the ball over and over and over, and then Dabo finally makes the QB switch benches, DJ and uh, Cade Klubnick goes in. He doesn't play like an outstanding or anything like that, but does enough to get them to move the ball and to win. And against a Syracuse team that was obviously undefeated up to that point and playing pretty good football. So it's a bummer that they couldn't capitalize on all of those turnovers that they were getting. And poses an interesting question. I don't know if they're necessarily going to keep the quarterback change permanent, but it doesn't I mean, sound like it. Sure it is very concerning. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I was um, I was shocked by the fact that he said you know DJ's our quarterback because you're right. He, K didn't play amazing. I know he was the number one recruit in the country, but I don't. I mean, they don't win that game if that change doesn't happen. And a lot of that is a spark, like changing your yeah. goalie in hockey, where you just get the rest of the boys up and you know having to lock in. I think Syracuse had a large part to do with it. They kind of just went ultra conservative as well. But no, it's it's definitely. it's fascinating because look, we we both know right Clemson. As much as their recognition of what they've done, they have to win out to make the playoff. Like the ACC is yeah, like 100%. really low on the totem pole, and I think they're going to have to keep it going. But that was a big storyline for sure. How about TCU staying undefeated in the Big Twelve? They were seventh in the preseason poll, and every one of these—not everyone, but a lot of these games—they're down by like double digits, and they keep winning. Yeah, they're they've been as far as like most impressive teams. Uh, going into the season, like they're right up there with Tennessee at this point. I mean, Max Duggan's playing extremely well, and they've hey, the Big Twelve is not an easy league to go undefeated in. I mean, they're not all the way there yet, but no. they have some big wins under their belt. I mean, Oklahoma, the resurgence of Kansas in Lawrence when game day was there, that was a huge mm-hmm. one for them. And then, I mean, just the last two too with yeah. Oklahoma State and Kansas State. Uh, so they still have Texas, they still have Baylor. Uh, a couple of chances to slip up, and then obviously, if they do make it to the Big 12 championship game, that'll be another tough one. But man, I've been so impressed with this team, what uh, Sonny Dykes has been doing. Mm-hmm. I also got my first Brian Ferentz experience watching a full Iowa game. So it's like, you know, oh, it's man. Like... I think you qualify for uh, financial compensation <laughs> I know. for that. I know, it was tough. I just I made sure I, it should be like jury duty where I just get paid for my service. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, that was, yeah, that wasn't a great Ohio State first half, but with that Iowa offense, um, it was it was always in play. But no, I, I think we're starting to see a lot about these teams. The Pac-12, I mentioned, how about Oregon with the bounce back after getting shellacked by Georgia? Now they're, you know, pretty much, I don't want to say has it on control to the Pac-12 title game. Oregon State's going to be tough, but... They've responded nicely since they were kind of left for dead. Yeah, I mean, uh, so much of that was predicated on that, like, lambasting in Atlanta that they got <laughs> at the hands of Georgia. So, yeah, they, it sets up really nicely for them the rest of the way. And But they're going to need some help to get into the playoff because a one-loss Pac-12 champ is not guaranteed anything, especially with how bad that loss was to Georgia, which would 
uh, I mean, in all likelihood, be one of the final four teams in the playoffs. So I'm not sure how much that'll get taken into account. But yeah, what a turnaround! And they've been putting up over 40 points a game since that. So yeah, obviously, really, really happy with that because I love their OC Kenny Dillingham and really want him to be ASU's next head coach. He's an Arizona guy and an ASU alum, so I, I've got a close eye on Oregon's offense the rest of the way. And, hoping that that hire happens they do have one loss so they're gonna you know they're gonna have their chance to really <laughs> make a name for themselves i i think i, I think they're I, like you said they're gonna need help that's the that's the big thing right you know if it's not for mm. we'll see what ends up happening i don't want to get into the weeds of like what's going to happen uh with what's going on but they destroyed byu they they have an opportunity to run the table in the pac-12 but it's going to take uh some help um, all right, so let's look at this week's games because there's a lot of good slates and a lot of good stuff on the agenda. I think uh, a lot of these games are going to be uh, very, very big in determining the outcome of the game. Uh, also, some games that we think we know the outcome are just historic rivalries, like Florida-Georgia, always a fun one, and uh, the cocktail yep. party in Jacksonville. Georgia has had their offensive moments, but still trust that defense, and uh, just a rough year one for Billy Napier, and I don't see it getting any better on Saturday. I don't either. Talk about a fun rivalry. This is, I feel like, one where it would be cool if both teams wore their uh, color jerseys in. I feel like that'd be a good... I think they've done it in the past, but it's definitely not something that they do on an annual basis. So, yeah, always a cool uh, scene in college football, but I think that Georgia rolls in this one. Florida's been so bad on offense ever since that first game against Utah, like when Anthony Richardson looked like a Heisman contender. But, yeah, a lot of incons- inconsistency across the board. I think they keep it close, maybe in the first half, just because of the rivalry and how big it is. But I think that Georgia ends up in covering this one fairly easily. Yeah, I I, I can't see much happening in, in the way of them just kind of making plays. But we'll see. I mean, there's always going to be the opportunity for, for Florida in this rivalry game, which we know. Um, Syracuse actually plays Notre Dame this week and is 4.5 favorites. So Notre Dame has, I guess it's down to three, but Notre Dame, how the mighty have fallen uh, with that Stanford loss that was bad a couple weeks ago. Uh, Syracuse looking good. So this is, hey, you know what? The loss to Clemson stings whip. If you beat Notre Dame, that's always a huge accomplishment because it doesn't happen much for them. Yeah, I've heard the, uh, I guess it's not, I don't know what it's called anymore because it's not the Carrier Dome anymore, but the Carrier Dome is going to be hyped up for that one for sure. So, yeah, a lot of missed opportunities in that Clemson game like we talked about, but this is a great way to rebound, and Notre Dame just looks like so lost on offense, so I'd be surprised if Syracuse doesn't win this one. Auburn, three-and-a-half point underdogs at home versus Arkansas. This is where we're on Brian Harrison watch. Like, this is another game where if they lose, just make a note of <laughs> the end is near. Arkansas struggled yep. down the stretch, but that's one to monitor. Not at the top of my list. TCU again going to West Virginia, who's near the bottom of the conference. That's pretty deep. It's seven and a half point favorites there. Something to monitor as they look to kind of get perfect. Iowa State Oklahoma is a fascinating one too because Oklahoma cannot afford another conference loss. One point, you know, basically a pick'em game in Ames. So that's one where Brett Venables. I don't think he can be one and done because the buyout money is so stupid, but. They can't lose another Big 12 game. No, not at all. And then Iowa State is the kings of losing close this season, too. So, I mean, I know no matter what, that's going to be a close game. But, yeah, if Oklahoma loses this one, then the math sort of gets a little tricky for them to even make a bowl game this year. Because <laughs> yeah. they still have yeah. Baylor, which will be tough. They still have Oklahoma State. And then Texas Tech, too. So, you got to scrap out two wins in there somewhere if you lose to Iowa State, which will be uh, not good in uh, Norman. Are you surprised that Ohio State-Penn State, and I'm asking you unbiasedly, that that line's only 15.5 for the Buckeyes? Yeah, because of how <laughs> Penn State looked against Michigan. I don't mm-hmm. think this will be a close one. It's an early kick, too. You don't have to deal with any of the, the wide-out shenanigans, nope. which, I don't, that, which makes no sense to me why that isn't. Like, why do you waste the whiteout on Minnesota? I, I <laughs> well, don't understand I, that. So, so I don't know either, and I'm not defending it at all. Um, it was also a homecoming weekend, and I've just I was confused because I feel like they've split those two weekends up before, where they've done the whiteout yeah. early, like they did it against Auburn, I think, last year early. So I, I just I don't know. 
Um, but yeah, yeah exactly. The only thing that I could think of <laughs> yeah. would be if it's like a TV thing. Which That's, I guess yes. you don't have any control over that. Big 12 so. noon kickoff, Penn State. I mean, I'm sure it's the only two times they get the Big 12 noon game is Ohio State-Michigan. Uh, and it doesn't look yeah. like it's gone well. But I obviously like the Buckeyes in this one. It was a, a weak, weird first half last week, but I think they get back on track, and I think they score a lot of points. So um, ho-hum there uh, in that one. Uh, another game I wanted to get to, I think we can just talk about it now, that Kentucky game against uh, you-know-who, uh, the Vols of Tennessee. 12.5-point favorites at home for Tennessee, a Saturday night game. And I don't... I'm picking the Vols to win, but I'm not picking the Vols to cover. I'll just get that out of the way. I think this game, I think Tennessee is going to score points. I actually like the over in this one a lot at 63.5. But I think Will Levis is going to put some points up, and this is in that backdoor cover range. I want to see Tennessee play a quality opponent as basically a top dog in college football now. This is the first time they've gone into a a pretty good game with a target on their back. So I I like Tennessee to win by about 7 to 10. Yeah, I agree. It's it's going to be an interesting one for sure, sort of shoe on the other foot. And then Kentucky looked good beating uh, Mississippi State last week too. So nice to see uh, Will Levis sort of getting back into form after <clears throat> after the injury there. But, yeah, you just wonder if Ten- – I think they're going to win too, but you just wonder how much Tennessee will be looking forward to that huge one in uh, Athens next weekend. So I don't know how big of a role they'll play, but I still do think they win. But I agree that uh, Kentucky ends up in covering. Also, I kind of like Oklahoma State on the road as a plus two against Kansas State, but I'm not sure that I would make this one of my top picks. Also want to point out that I would never even have said that if Snyder was still there because he just owned Oklahoma State, but (laughs) new coach, maybe they can get it done. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Oklahoma State coming off the, I mean, not really shocking, but but with how well Texas played earlier, I guess shocking that they were able to come back in that one, but... I don't know if that's more of an indictment on Sark in Texas than praise for Oklahoma it, it was State. brutal. I mean, I, I look, props <laughs> to Oklahoma State for their win, overcoming all the injuries and stuff they've had, and Gundy coached the heck of a game. But Sark's up by double digits, and he's passing the ball nonstop. It was their their drive. It was their, the last 10 drives of the game, they didn't even move the ball until, like, the very end. Ewers was off, but yeah. they kept putting the ball in his hands when you've got Bijan Robinson, who's one of the best backs in he college was football. So well, too. I don't. Was, I don't want to so. take anything away from the fact that Oklahoma State got a hard-fought win, but that was not good by Sark. I mean, Ewers played bad, but no. your coach can run the ball, especially with the lead. Come on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, saw Robinson break off like fifty yards <laughs> runs in the first half, like it was nothing. So yeah, yeah, it's a. Uh, just another uh, seven win Sark uh, flub there. So seven win we'll Sark. He ends up in topping that. That's a good nickname, seven win Sark. Just keeping it going. <laughs> but uh, that said, Michigan State, Michigan this week—a sad state for this rivalry with how Michigan State looks. Twenty-two and a half point underdogs. I'd be praying for a miracle, but we're not going to get one. Uh, interesting game though in the SEC at night. Ole Miss two and a half point road favorites after their loss. They're getting handled by LSU. They play Texas A&M, and man, the Jimbo vibes are not good right now. Losing to South Carolina, all that money owed, another bad year for A&M. If they, if they drop this one at home, which I actually think they will, it just continues to go down, down the drain. Yeah, what a weird game this is, though. Just like two of the, I guess, least hot programs at this point. Just, I mean, I had this conversation with you and a couple of our friends about me thinking that Ole Miss is the most overrated, undefeated team in the country, and this was going into the LSU game, so it's kind of nice to be proven right on that, but I could see A&M coming away with this one. It's at home, and literally their season's on the line with it, but you're right about those uh, those uh, chirps out of College Station are getting really loud, but I don't know if they could be 95 million buyout hmm. loud, so yeah, those... <laughs> I feel like he'll be here at least for another, Jimbo will be there for at least another season, but yeah, yeah. I don't know what to make of this Ole Miss team, though. I want them to win also because I want the egg ball to be uh, pretty amazing, and I think we could get a very good one this year. Um, that said, if you're not going to buy yeah. him out, at least have those like Rebel Yell guys just in his, you know, you know, wake him up every morning or something. <laughs> just yep. those guys. Uh, we can end with this. Probably not the marquee game in any conference in any slate, but your Arizona State Sun Devils go to Colorado, and they go as double-digit oh, wow. favorites. What a what a yeah, world. We... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
I watched them play last week in Stanford when they lost by one and gave up five field goals and still lost the game. So without giving up the single touchdown, um, God, the offense did not look good at all last week. Emory Jones struggled. and There's a lot of talk about going to uh, Trent Borgay, who played against uh, Washington and looked really good after Emory Jones got knocked out of that game with an injury. So, yeah, I mean, I hope Borgay starts just because of he seems to have a better feel for the offense and getting rid of the ball. But it is a sad state of affairs. I'm, I'm surprised that that game's on ESPNU and not on Pac-12. Like, that's three combined wins at this point yeah. in the season. So we dropped that game then. I mean, let's just hold up shot for the rest of the season until we yeah. get uh, U of A at the end. It's, it should be on Pac-12 Plus or something. Uh, yeah, exactly. But no. Where they don't even send commentators to the game. <laughs> Yeah, it's just the high school like camera in the tower. Yeah, one angle. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, hey, you know what? It's it's obviously you rip the bandaid off. It's you know it's going to get worse before it gets better. We'll see how they finish, how they do in the rivalry game, and then what the coaching search looks like. Um, but again, this is the game, Colorado. It's the winnable game. Uh, last thing here, Matt. <laughs> last thing here, Matt Winberg. This has been a blast talking pro and college. Um, is there that doomsday scenario in college football for, for everybody outside the South where we get three SEC teams in the playoff? I mean, yeah, the way that's setting up now. But uh, it's just hard to see Clemson losing another game on their yeah. schedule. So I, I feel like they're probably, unfortunately, going to make it in, and then they'll get blasted by Ohio State or Georgia, whoever ends up being yep. number one. But, yeah. yeah, I feel like, I mean, two is indefinitely like certainty mm-hmm. out of the SEC. So, yeah. I mean, it's nothing new. We've, we've seen it the last few years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I don't think TCU can go undefeated. I mean, that would happen, but I just don't think don't it'll happen. That. Clemson would be the thing. And I think maybe if Ohio state Michigan's a good close game in, in one possession, one score game that could thwart it. But otherwise, yeah, I could see it. So, uh, we'll see. Hey, Matt Wittenberg, pleasure talking football with you. Thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. We'll do this again uh, sometime down the road, but thanks for coming on the show. Of course, man. Always happy to jump on. All right, huge thanks as always to Matt Wittenberg. Always a blast talking to my buddy about football. We'll see with Arizona State, Colorado. I don't know if I'm going to catch much of that game, but... Uh, good luck to him and his Sun Devils. We'll see what happens with Ohio State, with Tennessee, with everybody else in between as we push towards conference titles and then eventually bowl bids in the playoff bid. Now we're going to switch gears, switch sports entirely. Randy Marcus hosts the Clippers podcast. We've got a lot to discuss about his Clippers, the Kawhi Paul George availability issue. They're treading water. They lost to the Thunder, but they're not nearly as poor looking as the Lakers and Sixers have been to start. We discussed that as well as who we think are going to be good in the NBA down the road this year and also preview the World Series, how we got here, Astros and Phillies, thoughts on the expanded playoff, and uh, our predictions for the series. It's Brandon Marcus now here on the Money Mitch Effect. Back again to talk World Series baseball and the start of basketball season. I feel like this is kind of his sweet spot, but it's Brandon Marcus now joining the show. Brandon, always a pleasure talking sports. Was that a correct assessment? When basketball gets going as baseball winds down, is that kind of your time to shine? Yeah, and you got the middle of college football now, of course, with Lincoln Riley, so USC is relevant despite the loss in their last game, so college football's there. Um, obviously, we're in the middle of NFL season, so yeah, a lot going on right now, and it's always fun, but of course, when you've got playoff baseball and you've got basketball back it's always uh always nice yeah so uh you mentioned college football i just wanted we weren't really planning on talking about this but i had my uh, moment of agreement with you kind of like my old man moment too where you were criticizing utah for charging the field on twitter as a favorite i thought that was funny but also shows i'm getting old also dude it's just dumb i i just don't understand how this keeps happening where teams that may be lower seated rush the field i had a friend that's like hey it's a big win for them. Let them enjoy their moment. And then he's a USC fan. I'm like, no, no. They, they are charging the field. You charge the field when you're App State and you beat Michigan. Like, you don't charge the field when you are Utah as a three-point favorite against USC. It's dumb. It seemed pretty, uh, I'd say, dare I say, interesting that they made that decision. But, uh, alas, we're here during uh, a very busy part of the year. You know it's... Uh... 
baseball and basketball season as well as football. A lot going on. Uh, World Series is going to have Phillies uh, along with the Astros. And uh, one of those teams supposed to be there. The other was the third team in their division. So, hey, I, I guess this is like the advertisement for uh, expanded playoffs. Yeah. I, it's just, oh, God. Every sport, I feel like, is expanded playoffs right now. You got the NBA that's going now 7 through 10 in the playoff. You got the baseball, which is uh, obviously the expanded playoffs. The NFL added, what, an extra wild card or something. It feels like, or an extra game, and it feels like an extra wild card thing the last couple of years. Every sport now has extra players. It's all money grab, man. Yeah, very, very interesting uh, <laughs> that that's what ended up happening. But the Phillies, you know, after a disappointing season with some injuries getting banged up, they get to the playoffs. Bryce Harper is kind of manifesting what we all talked about with him. Uh, years ago, Brandon, but he, he's come alive. And that just seems to be a great atmosphere. The baseball crowd there has really carried them as much as anything. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious to get your take, by the way, on whether you think expanding the playoffs in baseball is a good thing. Because I've had a conversation with my friends, and we're going back and forth, and I'm saying to them, like, yeah, hey, like it's going to happen. The Dodgers all of a sudden didn't get a, the rough end because the playoffs were expanded. They got the rough end because, once again, <laughs> they ch- choked in the postseason. I mean, the Dodgers were in the same situation this year than they have been the last couple of years. They got a bye, and they just can't take care of business. And, sure, the expanded playoffs, and you can go back a couple of years when they added the wild card, it gives that team momentum going into the next series. But I feel like if you're a good enough team, like you get the extra rest, you can align your rotation the way you want to align your rotation. So it's just momentum versus being able to align things the right way. It seems pretty fair to me. I understand like, Hey, it's not fair when you're sitting around waiting for seven to 10 days, but at the same time, guys do get burnt out. So I I don't know. Where do you, where do you stand on that, uh, that side? Well, it's funny you say that because I went into this playoffs, obviously, with my Guardians in it, but I thought there was going to be at least two upsets in the divisional round, and that's what ended up happening in the National League. Um, I think this extra day off is the issue for me. And maybe not the issue for me, but I think it's going to be an issue for top teams. I think ball players, baseball players, want to play every day. Yeah. And I don't think it was a good thing that – it's not, again, like you said, I agree, not the main reason that they lost. Clearly not the case. They had other issues they didn't hit. They blew that, you know, five runs in the seventh, all those things. But they're off. Another team's playing. They're getting momentum. I mean, the Phillies were almost dead to rights in the first game of the wild card round. If that doesn't happen, if they don't get that chance, they're probably not here. So I just think that, obviously, it all goes back to what you said about the money grab, 100%. But, you know, in that same vein, I just don't know that expanded playoff is going to help the teams that are it's supposed to in terms of a buy. A buy-in, like, football is huge. Single elimination, one game, sure. But a buy-in a sport where, you know, you're playing a series and you're used to that repetition, I don't know if that's a good thing. I think we'll have to see. But obviously it doesn't look like they'll ever go back because obviously you don't contract the playoff. You only make it bigger. Right. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. And you can go back to when the Giants were the wild-card team and they got that momentum. And I think the Rays were a wild-card team, too. It, it just gives you that the momentum and you can get going. I think I'm pretty sure that, I mean, you look all over the place and teams that get that added benefit of having a couple of games to get going and be in that playoff atmosphere. That is more important than being at home in game number one or game number two, which it, I get it's sure you're expanding the playoffs and so you're giving more teams a chance to get that momentum, but it's always been there. It, this isn't some new thing that, Everyone's just upset because the Dodgers lost. Like, if the Dodgers were able to take care of business, nobody would be talking about that. You know what I mean? I hear you. I, I do. I just think that, yeah, no, I mean, it's a, fascin- it's a fascinating way to look at it because, yeah, if the top teams win, we're just going on and on. I just think that this is uncharted territory in terms of days off and everything. But, hey, the American League, they took care of business. It was yes. rockier for the – it was rockier, obviously, for the Yankees, and they go out to the Astros and – I, I, I would like the Phillies to win. I, I can't say I'm you know have a rooted interest in it. But my take is I don't think this will be a long series. I think the Astros are just built 
to win it. You see them in the division. They're built to win a championship. Like, I might not like them either, but got to give credit where credit's due. They don't have any weaknesses. They can play small ball. They can hit the long ball. Their bullpen stack, their starters are good. Um, I think the Astros take it. Yeah, and when you have guys like Chaz McCormick that are coming out and hitting big home runs and everyone's wondering who the hell is Chaz McCormick, like, those type of heroes are huge. And you always talk about them later on when a team wins the World Series. Like, hey, where would this team be without that person? You look at the Angels. Where would they be without Scott Spezio in 2002? Nobody talks about Scott Spezio, but it's just one of those things that when the postseason comes, there are those guys that step up. And the thing with the Astros is they just got that rotation. And what's funny is you look and you say, okay, Justin Verlander's the ace. He's got the worst ERA of anybody that's appeared for them so far this postseason. But Framber Valdez has been unbelievable. Every single game during the regular season, he was getting a quality start. It did not matter what he was doing, who he was facing. It seemed like every single game he's going six, seven, eight innings and allowing like two runs every start. And like you said, their bullpen's been rock solid and their bats are scary as hell. And Altuve hasn't done anything yet in this postseason. You've got to assume that he's going to step up at some point because he's just a really good major league hitter and he hasn't been good at all, but that's why you look at other guys like Tucker, Bregman, Jordan Alvarez, Jeremy Pena has been unbelievable, and it's just they're, they're built, they're deep, and with the Phillies, it really comes down to three guys in Hoskins, Harper, and Schwarber, and what happens with those three guys is there's a lot of pressure on them, and also on Zach Wheeler. I mean, Wheeler's been incredible. Yeah, um, I, I still think the Phillies certainly have a chance because they've got the momentum, and I don't think it matters who is the team that has been unbelievable coming in and the Astros that, sure, they haven't lost a game, but things change in the postseason. You win one or two games, and all of a sudden, you build that confidence, and you have a chance. So the Phillies certainly have the ability to win. It just it really does come down to those guys. Look at Real Muto, obviously, is another horse in that lineup, and, and they've been they've been good. Those four guys have been really good, and Castellanos getting a little bit of a resurgence. So, sure, they've got a good lineup. So the question is, can they ride the momentum they've got? Plus, can their guys hit in the postseason when it actually matters in the World Series? It's going to be an intriguing series. I really think it will be more interesting, perhaps, than people think because the Phillies have guys mm-hmm. up and down that lineup that can hit. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful for it. I, I don't know that I'm optimistic. I also think that it, you know the, the 2-3-2 format definitely makes it exciting if – the Phillies can get a split and then go home where they've been just rock solid. But yeah. that's how important those first two games are. Yeah, um, I just worry about the rotation. I, I mean, that that's really where it really starts and it ends for me with the Phillies. And I mentioned that they need those guys to hit. But, I mean, look at Wheeler. And he's already thrown 25 innings in this postseason, I think. And his ERA is under two. And then Nola's obviously very good. But it's just those two guys. And I don't think they really have anybody else and that's what worries me is I don't think they're deep enough when it comes to pitching wise in a series like this. Um, and it'll be a little, they'll be really reliant on their bullpen, which was absolute trash in the beginning of the season. Um, you remember, I mean, they had guys that were, I mean, Corey Kniebel was their closer to start the <laughs> season and he was dreadful. Mm-hmm. And, and they went to Dominguez and Dominguez got hurt. Brad hand started giving up runs left and right. So, I mean, they traded for David Robertson, who's been, pretty solid for them but it, the bullpen's being really important in this series because it can't just be those two starters well i'm hopeful that the phillies can make it interesting um i was happy with my guardians in the playoffs they gave it yeah. hell and uh, francona is re-energized by this team tito sticking around so that's good um even got a new man crush out of it with oscar gonzalez but but all that said brandon the last thing we, we need to know where you are with your angels uh, level of you know just disdain, interest, what they did to you this year. Where are you at with the Angels? Who? <laughs> yeah, it's... I gotcha. <laughs> it's not great. Until the sale happens and Artie Moreno's gone, <laughs> this team's really going nowhere. So, I mean, that that's the issue is that you've got an owner that doesn't want to give long-term contracts. And so instead of going through an actual managerial search where you could end up with a guy like Bruce Bochy, who's a proven winner. Mm-hmm. They go and they re-sign Phil Nevin, um, who proved really absolutely nothing. One year, time. right? They gave him one year? I think, yeah. I, think <laughs> I mean, that's, what does that tell you? It just doesn't make sense, and they're not going to go long-term because they don't know who's going to take over as owner. And then what's going to happen with Otani? I mean, Otani, 
uh, is not happy with losing. He he wants to win and he likes the Angels, but if they keep with this nonsense, then they're in trouble. But they've got the guys like they've got Rendon, Trout, they've got Otani, they've got guys who can hit. Jared Walsh, can they together? And that's what I worry about. I don't know if they're going to spend to get a shortstop season, get the pitching. It just doesn't it doesn't feel like a team that's going to still feels like another wasted season coming up before new ownership takes over. Uh, sorry about that, buddy, but hey, maybe there is light at the end of the tunnel. And, and by the way, Otani saying he doesn't didn't have fun this year, I mean, yeah, that's what I would expect any professional that competes to say. So yeah, I, it's, it's not great. It's not great. And honestly, to, you know, baseball's become one of those sports that I've really checked out for the most part. I mean, I've, I've watched some playoff games, but mm-hmm. it's just... I'm not wasting my t- time every single night watching nine innings when it's, you, you got to take priorities. When you have a kid and, mm-hmm. and you got your wife and you got to pick her up, pick and choose what TV shows you want to watch. It's just I can't sit there and watch the Angels. I, I watch way more Dodgers this year than mm-hmm. the Angels because a the broadcast is better. Mm-hmm. Um, B I had Mookie Betts, Julio Urias, and all those guys on my fantasy team. Mm-hmm. And C the Angels are just making me sad. And it's just, it's just not, it's not fun. It's not no. fun watching them lose when Otani goes seven strong and they lose. It's, it's like, oh, Otani hit 400 home runs, and yet the Angels lost 402 to 400. Like, it's, just, <laughs> it's not great. All right, well, let's try to lift your spirits here now on the Money Mission Effect with some basketball talk as the oh. Oh, season's under. Well, I guess that kind of lifts I mean, it, it has to lift your spirits a little bit, but um we can we can we can start with the clippers you know your team you cover them podcasts and and really invested in what they do uh they lose tonight to the thunder as we record this i think that drops them to two and two on the season and you know i look at from the outside this team i I do want to know your thoughts on kind of what exactly is happening the management of paul george's situation Kawhi leonard who's not playing back-to-backs and not you know really playing much of a full game at all sat tonight um, thoughts on, I guess, the Stars. I know it's early four games, a lot to be decided, uh, but the fact that the Stars aren't playing big minutes, what does that mean? Yeah, today's put me in a really bad mood. Um, there were mm. media members that were going after Clippers fans who were upset that Kawhi was sitting tonight saying, oh, it's early on, they're managing his knee, blah, blah. And like, yes, I totally understand that, and I completely agree. Um, and to answer your question, he was out tonight because apparently he felt some soreness in his surgically repaired knee, and he wasn't going to play, I believe, on Thursday. And so the Clippers said, you know what, just go back to L.A., go and rehab it, um, and work on it there, get some treatment there, and you don't need to be with us here in OKC. Like, he traveled to OKC, and then they sent him back home. And it's just one of those things where, like, fans have the right to be upset because the Clippers went and traded away SGA, who was unbelievable in the game today against the Clippers, Hello, and basically all of their picks for like five or six years in exchange for PG to get Kawhi. So you basically made that trade for two guys. And in 2020, Kawhi gets hurt in the postseason. They went go to the Western Conference Finals and lose there because Kawhi was hurt. Next year, they lose in the play-in tournament. And now, here we are where PG was hurt last year, he's back healthy, Kawhi is getting managed to the point where he's coming off the bench to start the season, which nobody knew was coming. I mean, nobody had any idea that was coming until legit the first day that the season started. They're like, oh, hey, yeah, Kawhi's going to come off the bench, and he's not going to come in until halfway through the second quarter because of his knee. They don't want him sitting and coming back in, and then sitting, and then coming back in, so they want to do long stretches with him. Mm. And then it, it pops up a couple days ago, I think it was yesterday, actually, that PG was out for this game because of a non-COVID illness. So that's not anything to be concerned about, hopefully, long-term. But this Kawhi thing is really concerning. It's concerning, and everyone just assumes that, okay, Kawhi will be managed, and he'll be there for the postseason. I don't get but, how you can assume that. Like, that, I, I mean, that's yeah, that's the issue, the thing. Man. That's the issue, and it's really frustrating because... Everyone's like, okay, yeah, hey, listen to the doctors. Like, he'll be fine. But, it, dude, it's the Clippers we're talking about. Like, the Clippers just have not had anybody healthy for a long playoff run. And fans are allowed to be upset about what's mm. happening right now. And, like, yeah. I understand managing somebody coming off an injury. But at some point, man, you got to play basketball. And, yeah. like, yeah. you can't just baby this forever. you got to take the training wheels off at some point. And I yeah. do agree that it's not the typical star resting, which, again – I don't think either of us are big fans of, but we understand it more. 
this is different. He kind of, unfortunately, I mean, he's great. He's one of the best players in the league when he plays, but he doesn't have that equity built up in terms of let's just rest and play back in. You know, the fans want to see him play, and the team needs him out there to accomplish anything, which is what you said. So, And establish uh, any sort of chemistry, because mm-hmm. right now this team has none. And mm-hmm. Norman Powell has been terrible to start mm-hmm. the season, and he's supposed to be the number three scorer. I mean, they've had some guys that have stepped up. I mean, Zoo looks incredible at center. I think he had six or seven blocks tonight in a double-double. Um, Luke Kennard's been unbelievable to start the season. John Wall has been outstanding. That's a good story, yeah. Yeah, and so, like, they're a really deep team. But how often can you say, yeah, they're a deep team, so they're in good shape, but when everyone's not available night to night? Zubak taking that shot full court with eight seconds left, though. I did see that. <laughs> I saw a highlight of that too. I didn't catch that. I, <laughs> I mean, that's that's funny. Uh, I guess kind of in a, in a transition, in a segue. Does it make you feel any better that the cross crosstown Lakers are just having the start from hell? Yes, yes, yes. Every single game they lose is incredible. Um, it's just it's really enjoyable to see them struggling, and it, it's it, it, I just oh man, I just really wish they would have lost that title in the bubble. Because if they would have lost that title in the bubble, they would have done all of this. Yeah, for nothing. it'd be way different. It'd be way worse. It'd be way more vitriol out there. So much worse. Uh, I think it's hard to like. We were again. I don't dislike Russell Westbrook, and I know a lot of people are going to pin everything on him, which is not fair. Uh, but that said, he is not fitting this team. We both agreed that his defense is actually much improved. But offensively, he does not fit in. This is one of the worst three-point shooting teams we've ever seen assembled so far. They've taken over 100 threes in their first three games. I think it's one of the worst clips ever. I mean, Portland was just not guarding him at the end of that game. And you have Russell Westbrook, Brandon, check into that game, up eight with, what, a couple minutes left, and they lose. I mean, I know he's making $47 million a year. Darvin Ham's the first-time head coach. But at a certain point, you'd think that don't you have to put the players that are going to give you a best chance to win out there? I mean, it's yeah. crazy to watch when the fans and people like me on the outside are able to notice this. And now he's doubtful for tomorrow's game because of his hamstring issue that he said was very much possible to blame the head coach for having him come off the bench during the preseason game. And that's why he may have gotten hurt and hurt his hamstring. And so now he's actually sitting tomorrow, most likely, without hamstring injury. It's a mess. And it's really unfair to everybody involved. And you have to look at the top at Rob Palenka. I don't know what the hell he has been doing. He's doing a really bad job of constructing this team. They should have traded Russell Westbrook. They've just been afraid to include those two first-round picks because they want to get max value. But Russell Westbrook's value is going absolutely nowhere, and it's just torpedoing. And they didn't surround this team with shooters. Instead, they've got a bunch of team guys who can't shoot the three ball. I mean, I think they're shooting like twenty percent to start. I mean, can, can we talk about how kind of insane it is that they weren't able? Like, it's not the hardest thing in the world to find shooters, especially on a team with LeBron and Davis. That's the part where it gets me that the roster construction has been so bad, and the fact that it's not one move; it's like four or five where they just didn't do the right thing. It's you know, it, it's really crazy to say, and and that. That's just the tip of the iceberg for, I think, in terms of what this team is kind of letting go by the wayside with LeBron getting older. and We don't even really know if AD can play 82 games anymore. But, you know, we're, we're, all, we're not even getting to the point where they've won a game this season. So, I yeah, don't... He already got hurt during the game and, had, and wasn't able to basically walk up and down the floor. And, you know, LeBron will get hurt at some point because Superman all of a sudden has really broken down the last couple of years. They're just they're really a two man team of AD and LeBron and those guys have not been able to stay healthy and the Westbrook thing like you know I said like he sure his defense has been solid but dude the guy's really bad offensively and what I, I was saying earlier is that sure you everybody's to blame look at Palinka Westbrook's to blame too man like yeah. he does not understand that he doesn't have the skills that he had when he won the MVP he still thinks he's that guy no. that can go and yeah. take. But, like, dude, you got to realize that you're somebody that attacks the hoop, you need to defend, and you need to use your speed. And really, that's it. You're not a jump shooter. And he <laughs> thinks he's better than he actually is, and it's a problem. I mean, he went for a two-for-one, up one, under a minute. I mean, yeah. that was just... And yeah. the fans hate him, and that's a really yeah. big problem because, I mean, when you have fans booing you that are at home, that eats into you. I mean, we've, we've seen mental yeah. health play a major mm-hmm. role in guys like Paul George and John Wall. And I guarantee you mental health is playing a large role with Russell Westbrook. He's just not showing it. 
eerily similar to uh, Allen Iverson's end of his career where some guys are just so ball dominant, I don't know that they age as well when they're not the main guy anymore. So um, I don't think he can be an NBA player anymore. That's the thing. And I, I, I mean, I'm glad you said it because I'm thinking the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, just remember, it was all Frank Vogel's fault. That's Dude, <laughs> that guy won them a title and <laughs> made them a very good defensive team. And then they just got rid of them. Yeah, because they and they were and they're mad he's standing up to Westbrook. It's like, oh, sorry, I'm coaching. Uh, but I digress. Um, I'm glad he's collecting his millions yeah. of dollars and not having to do anything. Hey, thank thank God for the Lakers because if it wasn't for them, we'd be talking about the Sixers, right? They got to be thanking their lucky stars that this Lakers thing is happening because that huh. that situation's fascinating. On one hand, here's what I'll say. I know you follow much more NBA than me, but but James Harden looks like he's playing better, and the stats show that. Yes. But it looks like this team is just not constructed the right way. And when I say that, Embiid's not getting the lion's share anymore. Maxi was supposed to be a guy coming up. He's kind of just off to the side. I think Harden looks good, but I don't think that's the way they're going to win. And and you know what Doc Rivers does or doesn't do down the stretch. So I have some real concerns now with the Sixer team. You stole what I was going to say. I was going to be like, oh, who's the head coach again? <laughs> I knew it. I, I knew it. You've done it a bunch on the show. I had to get to Doc first. Oh, uh, God. And, I mean, I told uh, the Philly guys. I talked, told Tom. I told Ron <laughs> guys that have uh, have been on this show before that watch out for Doc. Great regular season coach. But in the playoffs, he doesn't really know quite what he's doing. And here we are in the regular season where Embiid apparently is hurt. And it was hurt in the offseason, and nobody was told about that, and he's still dealing with it. And he's the guy that should be being built around. Instead now, it's Harden that's become the man, and that's going to piss off Embiid. And Tobias Harris um, has really taken a step backwards, and uh, it was something that started last year. And It seemed like at certain moments he had it, but, I mean, I was pretty wrong at times about the ability of Tobias to get it going. Maxie's a very good player, but they're just not built well, and they, they've got some decent pieces, man. DeAnthony Melton's a really good mm-hmm. basketball player to come off the bench of a possible title-winning uh, team, but they're just not being coached well. The Embiid-Harden thing is not working, and once again, Harden's in a place where his team's in disarray, so I mean, we can't look very far from that. we got to look at Harden as well as he's been playing, yeah. but he's got to be a little bit to blame as well. It also just doesn't work, right? Like if he's right. the best player and the older he gets. Um, so we'll see. Um, before I, before we, I let you go, this has been a great chat. I, I want to get your thoughts on who you think maybe going forward, and you can even include you know teams that started struggling, but who do you think the top three teams are going to be in the East and the West? This is kind of a fun exercise, like down the stretch going into the playoff hunt. Give me your top three in each conference. Hmm. Um, I think the West, I think you'll definitely see the Warriors. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you'll see the Suns. Okay. And uh, I think I'm still going to put the Clippers there. Mm. Uh, that Kawhi and PG there and the depth that they have. I think that the, the Warriors, Suns, and Clippers are, I mean, I'm not really going out on a limb there, um, but it does worry me with the Pelicans that, uh, one of their best defenders, Herb Jones, has a knee issue. Zion already hurt. It, it just concerns me a little bit. And guys like Portland that are 4-0, Spurs and Jazz are both 3-0. Yeah, it, it's it's weird and early. I, I was just – I don't disagree with that. I think I might swap the Nuggets in there. That's fair. No, I think yeah. that's fair. I mean, when you have – Jokic is so Murray, good. Like, it's just – it's insane. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. And I think that's definitely yeah. possible. And then in the East, I think the Bucks for sure. The mm-hmm. Celtics, I think, for sure. Um, and then the third team's really difficult because Brooklyn you want to put there because of Durant and Kyrie, but they've just been a mess. Yeah. So it, it really feels like that third team could be one of anybody. Um, but I, I think I think I would lean somewhere between the Bulls and the Raptors is okay. kind of where I want to go. Don't want to say Cavs though, huh? I, I don't. I wouldn't either, no. but. I wouldn't yeah. either, but I like Mitchell. I like Mitchell a lot. Garland, I like a lot. Allen's good. I just think they're they aren't up to the level of a team like the Bulls or Raptors. It's fair. Uh, Evan Mobley's development is going to be what's yeah. what to monitor for their ceiling. I think it's fair to say. And Devin Mitchell had his or Donovan Mitchell, excuse me, had his problems. Um, you know, being kind of the guy. Maybe they can 
alleviate some of the pressure on him. I, I think, I mean, Bucks and Celtics are safe bets. The Celtics with the Adoka thing in the offseason, I think that'll be more growing pains the regular season. I think they got a proven roster that's, you know, hungry after that finals loss. I'm just never going to bet against Giannis. <laughs> I just I just won't yeah. do it. He's just insane. No, he's incredible. And, and nobody's talking about him. And so he's like, oh, wait, why isn't anybody talking about me? And so he'll, he'll show why. I mean, they're the only team in the Eastern Conference right now where the opponent's points per game is under 100. Like that, they, They're just a very good defensive team. And Brooke Lopez being healthy is really big for them, too. And between Lopez and Giannis and Hull. Day and then even have Middleton healthy. They're they're a really good team. Last thing I want to ask you, uh, I mean this, you know, genuinely. Um, this Wembenyama guy, where the hell did he come from? Is this a real person? Yeah, man. It's and the crazy thing is, is like, why are the Spurs and Jazz like, <laughs> like? What are you guys doing? Like, I, I just don't understand. Like, this is a guy that legitimately will change a franchise and like, will immediately go from being a team that is probably going to get the number one pick, whoever it is that gets the number one pick, will make the playoffs the next year because of him. Like, he is just that good. I saw that uh, showcase game, and I was just stunned by what I was seeing because I'd never seen him before. So um, a combination of Durant and Giannis, 7-4 with handles that can shoot. Uh, it's pretty insane where this is going. I, I, I'm a little scared of where <laughs> human evolution is taking us, I'll be honest. But, no, he, he's a joy to watch for sure. Yeah, he's good. He's really good. And, and, I mean, that you look at those teams that are fighting for his services, and some of them have some really good young players. I mean, you look at the Spurs. They've got a couple of really good players, Devin Vassell and uh, Keldon Johnson. Like, they've got some guys that would be great to pair with him. But who knows? At this point, I have no idea who's going to end up with the, left, with the worst pick. I mean, it would be hilarious if the Lakers end up with the worst pick, and they got to give it to the Pelicans. Can you imagine <laughs> the Pelicans getting Juan Bayamba along with Zion and Ingram and Herb, Herb Jones? Mm. I mean, there's a lot of bad teams right now currently in the NBA yeah. that don't have their picks, so it's kind of yeah. funny. Uh, Brandon Marcus, appreciate you coming on. Uh, where can we find your Clippers stuff? I know you're busy with that during the season. What's that yeah. look like? It's the Ethos Clippers podcast. You can find it on iTunes, wherever you listen to your podcast. You can follow at Ethos Clippers on Twitter to see when stuff gets tweeted out. And you can follow me on Twitter at BD Marcus. Um, I tweet the stuff out as well and tweet a lot about the Clippers. And, of course, yeah, like you said, the Clippers podcast is uh, one that I do probably once or twice a week. Nice, man. Looking forward to it. Hopefully the stars are out playing and uh, you got some good stuff to talk about. But uh, Brandon Marcus, thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect going to take some patience man i don't have a lot of patience <laughs> you'll get there. a lot of patience until this team is uh finally where they're supposed to be and Kawhi's actually starting all games but it, it's always a blast chatting with you man big thanks to matt wittenberg and brandon marcus and thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of the money mitch effect each and every week we're back and next week will be more football talk some hockey it's been a great first month of the season a phenomenal game last night between the avalanche and rangers by the way the avalanche squeaked out we'll keep up with basketball we'll recap what's going on in the world series more and more sports talks we get into the fall and then into the winter here on the money mitch effect which can be found on soundcloud itunes and google play we're on all your podcast platforms so just search money mitch effect will pop right up you can subscribe leave a rating or a review and check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page as well. I'm on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. This was the Money Mitch Effect featuring Matt Wittenberg and Brandon Marcus. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels. Thanks to everybody for listening and have a great week. But remember, keep enjoying sports. <laughs>